have them on your phones, please do open up um, to Second Kings chapter 17 that Abby just read for us so you can follow along um, this evening. But before we, we start, um, let's have a further word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the great privilege it is to gather together to study your word, to sing praise to your name. And Father, we do thank you that your word is truth, that it is living and active, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. And Father, we just ask that you'd, you'd teach us, Lord, you'd help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Father, you'd show us the truth of this passage and that your name would be lifted high. And it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we begin. Has anyone here ever been homesick? Maybe when you were younger, or maybe even more recently, you went off on a school trip or something like that for a couple of days, and maybe that first day goes okay. Maybe you're, you're having fun, you're doing lots of things, you're distracted. Then it comes time to go to bed that night, and, well, things just aren't like they usually are at home. It's a different room, it's filled with different people, and while there might necessarily be something particularly wrong with where you are, you feel that pick, that discomfort in your stomach that just longs to be home. From the comfort of our own beds, the security of our own families, all those other qualities of being home that we really just can't put our finger on it. We just long to be home. Well, right throughout the Bible, it describes for us that everyone in this world is actually homesick. Not homesick for your address back here in Portadown. Maybe you've never related to that feeling of wanting to get back home from a trip to be with your family and to be back to your house. But each of us have within us an inbuilt sense that this is not what I was made for. That this world is not my home. C.S. Lewis, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with, the author of the Narnia series, worded it like this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I think that's so true of each of us here tonight. We're all homesick, even if we're not quite sure yet where home is. That's something that's actually really similar going on in our passage this evening that we was read first in Second Kings chapter 17, and even wider than that, because this evening, really, I want to use this passage as a sort of a springboard or a launch pad to explore this sort of wider throughout the Old Testament, that there is this longing within us for something that this world can't provide. There's a hope beyond this world, in particular, a hope in a saviour who not only can save us from this world, but who can bring us to the place that we were truly made for. He can bring us to dwelling in the presence of our God. And so we see this hope for a saviour, this longing in three different themes or topics that are addressed in our passage. There's also three major themes that are addressed throughout the rest of the Old Testament, picking up where you guys left off last week. And so we're going we're to look at, we're going to look at the kings and a longing for a leader, the prophets, a longing for hope, and the exile, a sort of central historical event in our passage this evening, the exile, a longing for home. So of course, let's begin with the kings, a longing for a leader. Last week, if you were here, I believe you were introduced to this through the story of David and Goliath to King David. Right through the books of First and Second Samuel in your Bibles, you will see that the Israelites demanded of God a king to lead them. 
They had rejected God as their leader and their king, and they wanted a man who could lead them, who could fight their battles for them. And so God gave them a man called King Saul. A man who we find out later in the book is not a very good king, but he is exactly what the people of Israel wanted for the man to lead them. Then a little bit later, we meet David, who you looked at last week, a young shepherd boy who no one would have looked at twice for being king, yet God chose him to lead his people. After David came his son Solomon, who at the start of 1 Kings, we read that he built the temple in Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. But after Solomon came a really important event in the history of Israel, because the kingdom of Israel split in two. There is no longer just Israel, but now the northern kingdom is called Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. That's really important as we come to our passage. There is no longer just one kingdom, but the northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah. And as we come to our passage here, 2 Kings 17, what we see here is the exile of Israel. Not Judah, but the exile of Israel, the northern kingdom. But the question is, why were they exiled? Taken from their homes by this Assyrian superpower, but why? Well, the simple answer is that the people of Israel had sinned against their God. Look down in your Bibles with me at verse 7. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. And if we look down at the next couple of verses, we can scan through them and look at the sins of the people of Israel. Verse 7, they had feared other gods. Verse 9, they did things that were not right. Verse 11, they made offerings on all the high places. They did wicked things. In verse 12, they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this. The people of Israel had sinned against their God, even when God had explicitly told them, you shall not do this. Still, they rebelled against God. The people of Israel were exiled from Israel, and it was a just punishment for their sin. But look at verse 8 in your Bibles there. One of the key reasons for the exile that I've passed over, verse 8 says, they'd walked in the customs of the nations, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. Why were the people of Israel exiled? Well, one of the main reasons was because they had followed after their kings who were evil. King David, who had defeated Goliath, was a man after God's own heart. But after his son Solomon had been king, there have been now 20 kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. And every single one of them were evil. If you look up a couple of verses to chapter, at the very start of chapter 17 there, it tells us about the 20th and final king of after Solomon, who shows she, if you look at verse 2, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that can be said of every king that has followed after Solomon in the northern kingdom of Israel. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Hoshea there is slightly better than some who have come before him, but he is still an evil, evil king. And Hoshea is a king who has led his people astray and led them into their sin. Picture the kings of Israel like this. In our homes, generally speaking, our parents are the one who set what does and doesn't go, don't they? We might get maybe a little bit of independence as we get older, but especially when we're younger, 
we follow what our parents tell us to do. What they put on the dinner table in the evening, well, that's what we're eating. What they put on the TV in front of us, well, that's what we're watching that night. And when you get in the car with them, wherever they go, that's where you're going. Now, hopefully that is a good thing for you. Hopefully a good parent will get their children to eat fruit and vegetables rather than a diet of chocolate and crisps. Hopefully they'll put on kids' TV shows or give them books to read so they can learn and not put on horror movies every night so they have nightmares for months. A parent sets the standard for what happens in a home. And in Israel, the king had the same role for the entire nation. When the king is good, like David or some of the kings of Judah, he destroys false altars and offerings. He encourages right worship of God. He leads the people in the way that they should live and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We see that the people flourish. They follow after him. But when the king is like the kings of Israel, when they do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, then just the same, the people follow after him and go deeper and deeper into their sin. As verse 21 and 22 of our passage says down at the bottom, it says at the bottom of our section there, when God had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king, and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them. This is the state of Israel following after their kings and sinning against their gods. They justly deserved punishment. They justly deserved exile because sin separates us from God. God had said that the land of Israel and specifically the temple in Jerusalem was where he was going to dwell. And so the exile was the physical representation of their separation from God. Sin separates us from God. The people of Israel were being physically exiled to show them that spiritually they were separated from God because of their sin. What they needed was a king who would truly lead them after God. What they needed was a king who would fight against sin, not give in to it, who would fight sin and be victorious over sin. What they needed and What each of these accounts of the kings of Israel are meant to show us is that they needed the true king. People of Israel needed the king of kings. They needed King Jesus, the true and better king who would lead his people, who would fight against sin, death, and Satan on the cross and be victorious over them in his resurrection. The accounts of all of these kings that we read about are meant for us to long for a better king. We have that king in Jesus. We aren't following after and being led into sin by an evil king like the Israelites were, but without Christ, we are no better off than they were. We need a true king who will lead us in our weakness to the dwelling place of God. We need a king who will fight and defeat sin, the flesh, and the devil when we are completely incapable of doing that ourselves. The story of the history of the kings in our Bibles is meant for us to long for a leader, long for a true and better king, a king that we need. We have that king in Jesus. 
Firstly, the kings longing for a leader. Secondly, the prophets longing for hope. This is a slightly smaller section in our passage, and so we'll spend slightly less time on it um, this evening. But really, lots could be said about the prophets in our Bibles, because they really take up such a major sections of our Bibles. But look down again at our passage and follow along with me. We'll pick up our reading at verse 12, if you have your Bible there. Verse 12, And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in according with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. In the Old Testament, a prophet is someone who was God's representative here on earth. And they did this by communicating God's truth to God's people. God would speak to his people through a prophet. And that means that right throughout your Bible, when you open to one of the prophetical books, you'll usually see them saying, thus says the Lord, before you see what they actually say. And there are lots of prophets throughout our Old Testament. Some of them I'm sure you're more familiar with and some of them slightly less. So there are people like Isaiah and Elijah that we maybe know a little bit about. And then there are others like Obadiah and Nahum that probably not so familiar with. But all the messages of these prophets can be summed up by the words of Glenn Scrivener. They're either utter doom or jaw-dropping hope. The message of the prophets is either utter doom or jaw-dropping hope. The prophets warned the people of Israel to flee from their sin because if they didn't, there was utter doom and destruction coming to them. The exile had been warned by the prophets that if the people did not turn from their evil ways, then judgment was going to come. You know, some of the prophetical books in our Bibles, that can be really tough reading because it is God warning his people that judgment is coming. It's utter doom. Sin deserves judgment. Sin separates us from God and we deserve judgment because of our sin. But the message of the prophets is not just utter doom, but it also contains jaw-dropping hope. And the prophetical books in our Bibles are so worth reading because amidst the utter doom, amidst the just judgment coming upon the people, there is jaw-dropping incredible hope because of our God. The hope of the people of Israel and the hope for us today in 2023 isn't in our own goodness, it isn't in our traditions, it isn't in ourselves. But our hope is in our Messiah. Our hope is in our Saviour. The hope of the prophets is found only in Jesus. Amidst the destruction, amidst their being carried off into exile, there was hope offered to the people of Israel and there is hope offered to each of us today. Not a, a wishful thinking, but a sure, steadfast, unwavering hope in our God. Only in Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, who I mentioned earlier, says these words in chapter 25. He, being God, will swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And earlier in his letter in chapter 9, that passage that you're probably quite familiar with and will hear read, I'm sure, lots of times over Christmas, Isaiah says these words, the people of people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. There is hope for the people of Israel only in Jesus. It's not a hope that's going to make life instantly better than they weren't going to have a a worry or a care. Instead, what we see actually is that the people of Israel, they never returned from exile. But eternal hope. Everlasting hope is found only in Jesus. Because amidst our circumstances, amidst the pain, the suffering, and the sin in our lives, we can find rest in Jesus. We can find peace in Jesus. We can find forgiveness only in Jesus. The people of Israel were longing for hope amidst a whirlwind of destruction. The prophets brought the news of that hope, and it is a hope found only in Jesus. So we looked firstly at the kings and a longing for a leader. Secondly, the prophets and a longing for hope. And thirdly and finally, let's look at the exile, a longing for home. Verse 6 of our passage in 2 Kings reads like this. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. The central historical event that we've used as sort of our launch pad to cover really a large part of the Old Testament is what we come to now briefly at the end. It's the exile. Now, as I said earlier, this chapter is detailing the exile of the people of Israel. It's detailing the the northern kingdom. But just a couple of chapters later in your Bibles, in chapters 24 and 25 of 2 Kings, what we read of is the exile of Judah as well. They too have followed after evil kings. They too have sinned against their God. And so this time it's not Assyria, but Babylon who invaded and captured the people of Judah. As you come to the end of the book, the entire nation, both north and south, are in exile. They've been ripped from their homes. Many of them have been killed. People taken from their livelihoods, separated from their families forced to work in a new land, many of them as slaves. The exile, it's bleak history. What was once such a defining feature for the people of Israel, the land which God had promised, well, they're there no more. They've been ripped from it. They've been carried away. But again, as we said earlier, the exile is a physical representation of a deeper spiritual truth. 
the people were exiled from God, separated from God. And as they sat in the land of Assyria and later in the land of Babylon for the people of Judah, I'm sure they would have had a deep longing for home. To go back to the land of Israel, to go back to the land of Judah. But for the people of Israel, that never came. There was no return from exile when they were freed and they got to go back to their houses. Rather, the only return did come for the people of Judah. If you read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in your Bibles, you'll see that the people of Judah did begin to slowly come back, led by these two men. They began to rebuild Jerusalem with the walls and then the temple. The exile wasn't over. For the people of Israel and for the people of Judah, the exile didn't end if or when they got to return to their houses. You know, the exile, as we've been saying, holds a much deeper truth. The exile is a physical representation of their spiritual separation from God. And no postcode change was going to fix that. The exile only truly ends as you turn your Bibles over from the old to the new. The king that they had been longing for, the hope that they had been longing for, the promised saviour, the promised messiah. Jesus was the only one who was going to truly bring an end to the exile because in our separation from God, because of our sin, God came down. Those in the exile were not home when they finally got back to Judah. No, they were made to know they were made to follow. They were made to be in a relationship with the God of the universe. And the restoration of that relationship comes only in Jesus. The sin that once separated us from God through faith in Christ, it is nailed to his cross and we bear it no more. Jesus was victorious over sin, victorious over death and the grave, and in his perfect obedience to God, something we could never do. His perfect record is given to us and our sin is laid upon his shoulders on that cross. We have in Jesus a true king. We have in Jesus an eternal hope and only in Jesus are we truly brought home. Because we were made for something more than this world. The place that our hearts long for. We were made to dwell in the presence of God and glorify him for all eternity with joy unspeakable. Only in Jesus are we brought home. Because everything in the Old Testament, it points beyond itself. The kings do. They point to a greater king. The prophets do. They tell of our true hope and the exile does. Our separation from God because of our sin. But in Jesus alone, we have a king. We have hope and we are brought home. As we come to a close, I want to read the words of Hebrews 11. A great chapter all about the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. Those who lived by faith in God's promises that he would send a saviour to save them from their sins, even though they never saw him themselves. And the writer says this in Hebrews 11 verse 13, specifically talking about Abraham. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This evening, do you know Jesus as your king? Do you know him as your hope? And do you know him that one day he will take you truly home? If you do know him, we long and we wait for our arrival at a home that we have never seen. But we know that God is faithful to his promises. We know that we are eternally secure in Jesus and one day he will return to take us to be with himself and then truly we will be home. And oh, what a day that will be. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to invite the, t- the prayer team to come up and lead us. Let's pray.